Brick Moon Fiction presents Ghosted by Jason D. April Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle It's hard to kill a ghost. Vitralia knelt down, staring at the burnt grass, letting crumbled dirt fall from one hand. His head was pounding from the lingering stench of violent emotions. He wiped his hand on his pants and then reached into an inner jacket pocket for his phone. A few taps as he stood up and put the phone to his ear, looking around. He was in a small grassy nook tucked in a corner where two brownstones met, another gentrified New York City block built up after the event. Like so many, it was built with a combination of old and new materials, but the footprint of the buildings on this block had stayed largely the same. So while this little plot of green he stood on might not have been green before, he felt relatively certain the space itself existed before. Three rings and a rushed hello on the other end of the call snapped his attention back in focus. Mel, hey, it's me. His eyes rolled a second later. Me, as in Pete Detralia, just like every other damn time I've called you for the last five years. He sighed, listened for a second, and turned to look at the street. Yeah, he said. It stopped being funny five years ago. Don't make my damn migraine worse. Look, I slipped you over an address. Can you tell me if there's any history there? He waited to the sound of Mel's typing, a distinctive clacking sound from his very particular taste in mechanical keyboards. On the other side of the call, Mel's eyes widened as he scrolled through the screen of data. Oof, I remember this place. Me and some of my old mates did a high-frequency and spectrum analysis back in undergrad. It's definitely got history. Alter specs. Both. There were several recorded specters in that particular set of buildings, it's old-school housing over there, since late 1900s or so. It's a diversity housing community now, so you've got humans mixed in with alts, presumably living in peace and harmony and shit. Mel paused, humming to himself. Something off? Pete asked. Yeah, one of the ghosts, he said, slowly, reading more. It's not a remnant. It was within the last ten years. Less. Eight. A female specter. Okay, shit. Yeah, a girl, man barely 16. Unsolved hit and run. Hit so hard she basically collided with the building. Not sure how that works. Not even a year later, people started feeling the creeps whenever they went near the scene of the accident. Then some started to see an actual apparition. According to this, it wasn't a frag, but it wasn't a full-on indie either. Yeah, it felt off. Did it have a coherent form? Mel grunted. Says sometimes. Most people saw her as a vaguely human-shaped amorphous roamer, but some people, especially a few residents, could see her a lot more clearly. Usually girls her age and mostly alts or the more empathic humans. I'm sending you a list. It's only a few names. They're the only ones that still seem to live there. Thanks, Detralia hesitated. Mel, you ever heard of someone intentionally killing a ghost? Mel hesitated. Well, yeah, I mean, people love to kill anything, but it's very rare. You think someone intentionally killed this one? Honestly, it's more likely it got exercised somehow by accident. Sounds insane, but depending on what you're dealing with, it can be real easy to destroy the astral web that sticks them to a place. There's a burnt circle here. Heavy smell of gas still, and I found what I'll bet money is particulate residue of rock salt and gunpowder. From a shotgun, maybe? Who the hell would want to murder the ghost of a teenage girl? Her original killer. Of the three names Mel had sent him, only one proved chatty. 
she turned out to be what was colloquially called a devil. Deep red skin and short pointed horns, she even had the prehensile tail. Pete was pretty sure she was a sex worker of some sort. Devils seemed to gravitate toward activities and career choices that let them indulge their latent need for, well, indulging. They tended to be either very physical people or very intellectual. So, in his experience, they seemed to be either proprietors of hidden-away used bookstores or something that relied on their physicality and naturally astute empathy. Alalo was clearly of the latter variety. She had a light Eastern European accent and deep red eyes that tended to look through you more than at you. She knew the ghost, had spent time watching it closely, trying to glean some insight into why it was there, but hadn't lived here when the accident happened. You want to talk to the Nana, she said, pointing up at a window on the fourth floor. She sees everything, that Nana. Been here forever. If anyone knows, it's her. Maura McMasterson sighed as she took a quick drink from her water bottle. For an exploratory class on things that went bump in the night, the NYU auditorium classroom was more crowded than she'd expected or hoped. Apparently, people still needed a heads-up on spooks, and Pete had, in his usual way, gotten her to volunteer her time to teach a few hour-long courses. He said it was a good way to bridge gaps between the human community, law enforcement, and alts. There was surprising diversity sitting together, row after row. A lot of cops and some very obvious alts. She knew Pete had a thing for the devil types. Not that she blamed him, but there were some of the reptilia, fuzzies. Even a few were something or other. Not really wolves, but large and toothy. And the occasional flickering fairy types, some nearly human-sized, others flickering minute glimmers. Maura didn't care what anyone else said about them. She loved fairies ever since she was a girl. Ghosts, she said, putting the water bottle back on the desk and holding up her right hand. How many of you have seen a ghost? Show of hands. Nearly everyone raised their hand. Maura smiled and nodded. Spooks, imprints, apparitions, remnants, specters, frags, indies, sentience. She stifled a laugh as a wispy glowing dot buzzed her ear with a faint melody. There are a lot of terms now for something that just a decade or so ago many of us, no matter who we were, thought were just stories or hallucinations. But, she hesitated, nodding at the crowded space, ghosts exist, and more than that, they exist in amazing diversity. Clicker in hand, her thumb tapped its one button. The room darkened and the white screen behind her lit up. Images began to appear. A translucent man, glowing with his own pale internal light, walking past a brick wall. Glowing orbs of light flinting around the glowing bulb of a kitchen ceiling fan. A little girl, almost corporeal, sitting on a dirty concrete floor, head down, arms hugging her legs. A black man on his knees, holding his hands up, an expression of abject terror and sadness on his face before covering his face and fading in a flash. Rainbow silhouettes of children playing and running through a wooded park. An old man dancing with himself across an apartment's living room before disappearing through the wall. Some of the images were still shots, others video. If you just glanced at them, Morris said, pacing beneath the screen in the dark, many look like normal people. You've probably passed them on the street, in your apartment building, crossing the street. 
You hurried by them on the way to work without a second glance, but the odds are good that somewhere inside you felt something was off for just a moment. Most of these apparitions aren't sentient by any human standard. They're usually imprints tied to a location, just fragments of a memory locked in loop. Some are silent visions. Others are purely acoustic. She clicked the button again, and the projector went off, plunging the room into darkness. There's a common misconception that these imprints can only be created through tragedy, violence, the truth is any location that served as a focal point for strong emotional attachment probably has some form of spectral anomaly. They can be joyful and vibrant or, yes, nightmarish. The overhead lights flicked on. Mora stood front and center, looking up into the crowd of faces. These memories, locked in time, can be formed by one overwhelmingly powerful experience or simply from the repetition of similar emotions building up over years, even centuries. She looked down for a second, almost nodding to herself, building up courage. If you take nothing else away from this, take this. Don't fear them. Don't view them as something to exercise or hate. Sensationalistic stories about how a ghost helped identify its own murderer aside these phenomena have incredible cultural relevance. These imprints, and our best guess is about 98% of all ghosts are imprints, can't hurt you. But more than that, there are history. They're as vital as any historic building, and I am adamant in my fight to give them a legal status as historical markers. How we, how you and I, and any of us treat our ghosts is a marker of our humanity. It's a thing in this new and strange era that shows who we are as an individual and a society. Like old photos and other important mementos from our pasts, they should be protected and even cherished. She turned away, grabbing her water bottle. Okay, she continued after drinking. On to that other 2%. People loved the other 2%. Stories of seemingly sentient phantoms, guides, and guardians, and the occasional malevolent poltergeist. Mara could talk about any one of the myriad types for hours. By the end of the session, she could see the expressions of curiosity and wonder on so many of her audience members. She glanced up at someone coming in just at the end, as she wrapped up audience questions, and smiled. Pete quickly took an empty chair at the very back row to wait for her to finish, as the group left, some stopping to talk to Mara personally, tell her some personal story, even give her a whispering hug. Pete waited patiently until the room was empty. Mara met him halfway, embracing him in the step aisle between the vacant rows of seats. How'd it go? he asked. Good, she said, nodding. I think it went well. I hope it helps. I know it will, Pete said. I really appreciate you doing this. I know I said that like 80 times already, but I know how much time it's taking, prepping and getting everything ready when you could be doing research. What can I say? She smiled. I'm a sucker for those sad, empathetic guys who like to talk to ghosts. A quick kiss. Then Pete watched her go back down to the presentation area table to gather her things. Hey, he called, following her down. I think someone killed a ghost on purpose, but I'm not sure how or why, for that matter. 
Maura stopped and turned to look at him. I could use your help, Pete finished. There's a lot of noise around the site and it's hard for me to concentrate as well as I need to. Ingeborg Rappaport, Pete said uncertainly. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, ma'am. Mrs. Ingeborg Rappaport was old. The file Mel sent was indistinct on the finer points of her history, like any official date of birth or birth certificate. Just that she had immigrated to the U.S. as a very young child, fleeing genocidal madness after the collapse of so many countries from the former Soviet Union. She'd lived in this neighborhood ever since. What she did between then and now was also notably lacking. She smiled up at him and waved away his apology before smiling at Mora, who stood just beside him. Yes, she said, nodding. That's me. Something about her immediately struck Pete as unusual. He looked intently at her for a moment, longer than he meant, creating an awkward silence. Mara glanced at him and stepped forward. We don't mean to intrude, Mrs. Rappaport. We're investigators, but not police, who try to work with law enforcement to make sure the more special members of our community get fair and just treatment. The old woman's stare moved slowly between the two of them, and she nodded sharply and stepped away from the door, leaving it open. Pete looked at Mora and both shrugged, then stepped inside. Pete made sure to close the door. The apartment was clean, if cluttered with the sort of odds and ends that seemed to accumulate after a long life. Collectibles, newspaper clippings from the past hundred years, antiques, fine dishware, old magazines... They followed past the kitchen into the main living area, where they were promptly caught off guard by the high-end 75-inch TV, home theater speakers, and several gaming consoles. Ingeborg watched their expressions with amusement. It keeps me young, she said. Playing games, staying connected. Oh, and I love movies. Such wonders they are now. Amazing, really. She waved her hand again absently, and sat down in a comfortable rocker recliner, then gestured for them to sit on the nearby sitting couch. I had to go with a bigger television set than I might have because of my eyes, though, she explained with a faraway look. So, she continued, snapping her attention back to the pair, what's all this about? Pete cleared his throat and leaned forward. Mrs. Rappaport, he started. Call me Gertie, she interjected. He nodded. Gertie, are you familiar with the, um, ghost in the square at the end of this building? She stared at him for a second, then nodded. Oh, yes, that poor girl. I've lived here a long time, since before, you know. It was hard, the change. So many of us here. She trailed off, looking sad for a second. Changed, too. She waved a finger in the air. But that girl, she didn't have anything to do with all that. Her mother was a lovely girl, too. I knew her and her mom before her. Lily, she trailed off again. Mara leaned forward. Lily? Was that the girl's name? Gertie shook her head. Lily was her mother. Such a lovely girl. Cursed with a bastard of a father. She locked eyes with Mara. She did her best, but you can't swim against the tide for so long before it finally wears you down. When she came back to live with her mother, pregnant, I hoped things would be right, but... She shook her head. 
No one would tell me how she died. But it was just after her baby girl was born. Hope. Lily named her daughter Hope. She had her mother's curse, too. There was a moment of silence before she slapped her hand on the armrest of her recliner. And that drunk bastard he just slammed into her with his car and drove off. And no one did a damn thing. Left her there, dying. Poor Hope. She didn't die immediately. Did you know? She should have. She should have died instantly, but her family... So cursed. She lingered. Sometimes a body just doesn't go, you know? I saw it as a little girl. It just makes it worse. And then she was cursed again, her soul trapped there. I talked to her then, too, sometimes. Did she... Pete started, then stopped. The ghost, I mean, of hope. Did she actually talk to you? Oh, yes, Gertie answered. Sometimes, if it was calm and quiet, she would talk. But other nights, when it wasn't, she just relived that night over and over. Old Gertie, as it turned out, had a lot to say on the matter of hope, her neighbors, parenting, and ghosts. Yet she hadn't been interviewed back then, even though, by her account, she'd actually seen the girl get killed. Cops, you know, she'd explained. They didn't come here unless they had to, and they made sure to get out as fast as they could. Fleeing little piggies. She cursed under her breath in a language Pete had never heard. They tried to get away with the same shit over and over. Find someone you can keep down and keep them there. But we don't go down. We fight. We riot. We brought them a reckoning. Pete nodded. I know, he answered. That's why we're here. After that, after the riots and the reckoning, like you say, things began to change, and we're part of a group that makes sure they keep changing. People were scared, terrified, really, cops or not. Gertie nodded. Yes, and now, much less fear because of what we did. But none of it helped poor Hope. It was nearly 7 p.m. when Detralia led McMasterson to the small square with its equally small tree dead center and neatly planted in a circle of mulch with a rock border. It was quiet now. The chaotic feelings overwhelming him that morning were subdued, at least partially thanks to Mara's presence. So, Dr. McMasterson, Pete said, staring at the tree. Any thoughts? Mara was looking at the burn marks on the ground. Someone really did this. She looked up at the tree, the brown brick walls, the street. Someone killed this girl twice. She looked pained. Pete just nodded. Gertie watched everything, if we're taking her at her word, Mara said. An old pre-event car, some boxy sedan driving drunk, but with a weird black puck-shaped antenna and white license plate. How could she even see that far? I think Gertie left out a very important detail, actually, Pete answered. When she was talking about the change, I think she was affected more strongly than she wanted to appear. An alt? Pete nodded. It was dark in there, but I'm pretty sure just for a second I saw her iris change shape. Something long and thin. 
and a third set of eyelids that blink from the sides. A rep is my guess, which also probably means her eyesight and sense of smell are better than ours. So the white plate, all numbers? Municipal plates with a low-profile antenna and the side spotlight, he frowned. Cop? Cop. In his past life, Pete felt most at home viewing all the evidence like puzzle pieces to form a picture. He was always good at tracking the clues back to their source, whether it was a terrorist investigation or nailing down a serial offender. If he had enough pieces, he could form the overall shape, and what he didn't have the expertise for, there was always someone who could help fill in the gaps. Post-event, the number of actual specialists in alts and specters was still surprisingly low. Plenty of people claimed to be experts, of course, but Mara could see right through them. It wasn't hard for her to find the person who provided the killer with the rough knowledge necessary to crudely create a kind of ghost grenade. A smoke shop dealer with high spectral sensitivity named Patty, who Mara knew from a previous study. Patty loved ghosts, was obsessed with tracking down any and all information, stories, data points they could find. Patty was easy to talk to and happy to share, but that obsession occasionally led to blind spots. When Mara told him what the guy had done with lore they'd given him, Patty had fainted on her. Mel had tracked down cop bars, DOI records, and old Crown Vicks, pushing the data together, refining it further, and he got a name and a face that matched the security footage from the smoke shop. Pete didn't bother remembering the ex-cop's name. Richard something. Like a lot of the force after the riots, he'd been quietly put on forced retirement. His file listed an unmanaged alcohol problem as the main reason for his discharge, instead of his repeated history of often violent misconduct both on and off the job. Once the case went to legal, Pete generally stepped out of it. There was always somewhere else to be and someone else in need. It helped put distance between his work and the end result. Mara and he both knew nothing would be done about the killing of a ghost, but hoped it would act as a catalyst for future legislation. At least Hope's killer was caught in the case once his identity was known, was solid. He was a drunk and especially sloppy that rainy night eight years ago. The investigation back then was rushed, clumsy. Just as Gertie said, the search for witnesses was hampered by prejudice and fear of alts who were populating the neighborhood. The investigating officer certainly never talked to Gertie or her neighbors. Pete and Morrow walked down the sidewalk, along the brownstones toward the square. Dinner with Gertie had gone well. They'd developed a fondness for her, and she was always delighted to have guests. There was a tribute to Hope now. People were placing candles, notes, pictures of loved ones who'd gone missing. As they passed, they heard snippets of conversation, people claiming to have felt her presence, others saying they could still feel it. The two looked at each other, smiling, and shrugged. Who knows, maybe ghosts could return even after being chemically destroyed. It was early yet, and they had a lot more work to do. Jason D. April has been writing professionally for over 20 years, mostly in nonfiction. You can find his bylines appearing on such sites as Playboy, Paste Magazine, Motherboard, Upload VR, and others. Occasionally, he even lets bits of fiction escape out into the wild. Jason does not tweet. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, as it helps us find a bigger audience 
For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.